This is a podcast from Illuminous. We are a coaching and leadership development company dedicated to helping organisations raise their performance and achieve lasting change. In this edition, we talk to well-known entrepreneur Saha Shemi, co-founder of the UK's first coffee shop chain, Coffee Republic, and author of Startup Forever, How to Build a Startup Culture in a Big Company. Saha speaks to corporations in every sector all over the world about how they can adopt the mindset and culture of a startup. She shares her thinking on the behaviours which corporations need to survive in the unpredictable world we now live in and to successfully attract Generation Z employees. Challenging bureaucracy and accepted wisdom and encouraging agility, curiosity and resilience as well as embracing flexible working are just some of the topics we discuss. Today I'm in conversation with Saha Hashemi. Saha began her career as a lawyer, but then left that profession and co-founded Coffee Republic with her brother Bobby. Coffee Republic was the first chain of American-style coffee bars to be launched in the UK, even before Starbucks reached this country. She left the business in 2001 and wrote a book about her experience of setting up her own business entitled Anyone Can Do It. It became a bestseller in the Amazon Business Book Charts and is still an inspiration for would-be entrepreneurs today. Her most recent book is called Startup Forever, How to Build a Startup Culture in a Big Company. She now speaks and advises large companies on how to foster an entrepreneurial culture in large organizations. Saha, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Hi, Brendan. Pleasure always to chat to you. Um, Saha, could you briefly summarise the experiences that you went through in starting your own business and what you learned about culture and behaviours in organisations, both large and small? Um, well, I, as you know, I speak about entrepreneurial behaviour, um, but the reason why I always want to share my experience is sort of, I suppose I call myself the accidental entrepreneur. Um, you know, I, I came across behaving entrepreneurially almost by accident because, you know, I'm, I don't consider myself the classic creative entrepreneur. I consider myself, you know, I, I started my life as a lawyer, as you know. So um, I don't consider myself the creative type, really. But it was um, when I got the idea for American style coffee bars, when I wanted it as a customer myself, when I'd seen it in New York and that became the catalyst for my brother and I to start Coffee Republic, um, the UK's first uh, coffee bar chain. It was almost really that that journey that from seeing the coffee bars in New York and then, you know, opening the UK's first uh, coffee bar and then growing it to 110 stores that I learned about entrepreneurship because I realized that actually entrepreneurship isn't some magic dust some people have. It's not a huge sort of dust of creativity. It's just very methodical. It's a process that you go through. And in the process of making that little seed of an idea you've got happen, you start behaving like an entrepreneur. And so we started the company very much, you know, as a customer ourselves, we didn't have any money. We had to bootstrap. We had to find a way to do things. We were very clueless. And we grew it in five years, 110 stores. Um, but I think the part of my experience that's relevant is that um, as the company grew big, we thought, okay, now we've got a big company. So now we've got to forget about the whole entrepreneurial stuff because big companies don't need to be entrepreneurial. They can act like a big company. It's all about systems and processes. 
And, um, and we almost thought startup was something you grew out of rather than um, you know, something you try hard to maintain. So that's why I called my book Startup Forever, because you know, how do you keep that entrepreneurial magic as you grow? How do you not lose that? And in you know, some big companies who are further away from their entrepreneurial roots, you know, how do you bring it back? How do you make everyone behave like an entrepreneur, which is something we all need in this hugely fast-changing um, world we live in at the moment? Um, that's great. Um, now, um, in Startup Forever, you outline 10 behavioral shifts which large organizations should adopt to become more entrepreneurial in their culture. Um, I'd like to focus on a couple of them, particularly, particularly in the areas of curiosity and agility. You say, don't let your knowledge and expertise blind you. Let go of what you know. And in another chapter, you say, don't suffocate curiosity. Do be a big kid. Can you, can you explain what you mean by that? Um, well, yeah, what I mean by that is, um, Brendan, you know, when we started Coffee Republic and when we had, I got the idea in New York and, um, you know, we were clueless. You know, we started a business. We had no idea about retail, about coffee, about how to start a business. But, you know, very naively, um, I had just seen it as a customer and I absolutely loved Coffee Buzz as a customer. So, in effect, when I seen it in New York, I wanted to come back to the UK and drink skinny lattes for myself. So my only perspective in the business wasn't my previous experience or my vast industry knowledge. It was literally that I wanted it as a customer. It was just really simple. I just wanted to drink the, the latte. I just wanted to drink a skinny latte. And that gave us amazing perspective because um, you know, when, you, when, when you're looking at a business from a customer's point of view, that's where all the ideas come from because you know you don't need to brainstorm amazing ideas you sort of know what you want you're putting yourself in customers shoes and it's that ultimate empathy that's really important that sort of clarity in your head of the customer experience um but what we found um brendan was as we went to with this naive idea we had um we went around to people in the industry so we went around to people who were already selling coffee machines and people who'd been selling coffee beans to all these sandwich bars was everyone told us, oh, gosh, you know, you can never open a coffee bar in the UK. You know, coffee bars will never work because, you know, we've had generations of experience in this world. And, um, you know, people, this is England and people are not going to drink, you know, half calf decaf skinny lattes. And, um, you know, this won't work. You know, we know this industry. And honestly, it just, you know, coffee bars will never work. We've tried it before. And that's really when I realized, actually, that um, in a way, our naivety was our advantage because, we weren't weighed down by this is how we always do things. Um, and, you know, all we saw was just kind of, you know, we were, our minds were completely open and we just very naively saw the customer experience and we wanted to bring it here. So that's what I realized, actually, it, you know, had we been in the coffee business, it would have actually been a disadvantage for us. Um, so, you know, the fact that we were clueless was actually our biggest advantage because our mind was uncontaminated and that's often the only way to innovate because if you know too much about this is how you do things um, you can't really see new ways your, your mind is too blocked about finding a new way of doing things as so you end up getting very much anchored in the status quo and you're blind to opportunities um, an analogy i've got which is quite good is um, when you take the tube around london i always find um you know, when you can see a tourist as they come out of a tube stop and they're looking around and they're seeing all the wonderful monuments and everything. 
And then us Londoners don't even look, you know, we're completely blind to what's amazing about it. And I think that's very much what happens when, when you've been in the business for too long. It's almost like you've got too much expertise, um, too much you know, so you're not open to new ideas. You're just completely got the blinkers on to new ideas. So you're saying in some ways that um, if companies say things like, this is the way we've always done things, or we tried that in the past and it didn't work, these are almost warning signs that the company is adopting a very rigid way of thinking and it should um, uh, examine what it does much more carefully and be open to changing the way it does things. Um, exactly. I mean, I actually say um, that I think there should almost be a swear job because, you know, um, often when I'm speaking to clients, you know, I kind of I bring up exactly those quotes. This is how we've always done it. Um, you know, someone will, someone tried it. This won't work. You know, trust me, I know I've been in this business for a long time. And as soon as you hear those words, it's almost like alarm bells should be going. So I think people should put money in the swear jar. And once you become aware of how much that sort of, you know, this is how we've always done it, gets bandied around and um, how strong it is, because, you know, it's a, I kind of call it almost corporate bullying, because, you know, if someone comes out from fresh with a great idea and someone throws back at them, oh, no, I've been here for a long time. Honestly, you don't know. I know this will never work. This is not how we do things. This is not industry practice. It just completely shuts off. It shuts off the creativity. And that's why creativity doesn't happen in large companies. It's exactly because of attitude like that. And somehow it sort of seems to have a bit of gravitas, that knowledge. And, you know, I know because I've been here for a long time. Um, and in that might have worked maybe 20, 30 years ago. But, um, you know, in this fast changing world where the world almost turns on its axis as we're sleeping, it's not going to work. So we have to change you know, what is actually kind of almost corporate habit of using these words. And I, I can assure you, you know, as you know, I've spoken to over 400 companies and um, I've, I've rarely seen a company when, when phrases like this is how we've always done it. Someone tried it before, it doesn't work. Believe me, I know, you know, I've been here for a long time. How many times those words get bandied about? So um, I think I've heard you also say that you, uh, you shouldn't be afraid to ask stupid questions because they can be the most illuminating questions and people are afraid to ask what they think might sound like a stupid question because it might. Um, like yeah, their... absolutely. I mean, especially, you know, Brendan, if you're in a leadership position, um, you're meant to know all the answers, you know, the kind of the old corporate template is, if you're a leader, people come to you for answers and you're meant to know the answers. So it's a bit of a kind of 360 degree change to suddenly have a leader asking the naive questions. Uh, but the thing about an entrepreneur is um, as an entrepreneur, almost you give yourself a license because you're officially accepted as the outsider. You're meant to be the naive one. And in a way, you know, you, instead of being the kind of stupid one, you sort of think, oh, I'm a disruptor. So I'm going to come here and ask the really stupid, stupid questions. And, you know, frankly, we live in a world where we have to, you know, every single day disrupt what we do. We have to question it. We have to still see whether or not it's in tandem with what customers are doing, whether or not what we're doing still serves the customers better than everyone else. And the only way to do that is, 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 is to kind of ask the questions and give yourself the permission to say, I don't know. Um, and that's quite a kind of push, I think, for a leader to be able to do that. But once you do that, you see the freedom. And that's exactly what um, entrepreneurs do is they sort of give themselves license to ask stupid questions. And it's only when you, you know, put yourself out there and ask the questions, which is, you know, 
sort of, I mean, questions are almost the new answers. Um, and there's no way you're going to find out about anything unless you question what you do already. And if you accept that as taken and what you've done, you know, last year or five years ago, or even last month, or even before March 2020, then you're absolutely going to be missing the boat. And there's some clueless maverick that's coming in there is going to absolutely disrupt and um, destroy your market share. So in many ways, if a company saw a new entrant coming into its market, uh, the easy thing might be to say, well, look, they're not a problem. They don't know anything about this market. What can they do? But actually, you're saying not knowing anything about this market can be their big advantage. Absolutely, because they're coming in and um, in a way, because they don't know anything, they've got purity in thinking like the customer. Um, they're approaching it mostly from the customer and they're not impeded by all the baggage, you know, the kind of what Steve Jobs calls the sort of, um, you know, they've got the lightness of being a beginner and the person sort of sitting there has got the heaviness of, you know, kind of all the baggage you carry with you, which stops you from doing anything new. Uh, I'm interested to hear you use the word customer, which you obviously use a great deal in your book. Uh, but it also occurs to me that in large organizations, many of the people in those organizations will actually quite rarely meet or talk to uh, the end customer of their business. They will find far more customers um, within their own organization. And would you say it's all also important to treat colleagues and co-workers within a corporation as customers so you can try and understand what they're trying to achieve and put yourself in their shoes? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, kind of, you know, we use the word sort of customers a lot. And I think it almost seems like a cliche and it doesn't mean anything. But I think what makes an entrepreneur behave like an entrepreneur um, is, is that real connection with customers. You know, they often start as the customer themselves. They look at the business through the customer's eyes. Um, you know, if you look at um, someone like Amazon, you know, why are they absolutely changing the way we shop, giving us every single thing we want, because they talk about customer obsession. You know, they, they, they sort of think first of the customer, they're not thinking of the market share, they think of the customer and sort of work back from there, from the customer experience. So I think, um, you know, thinking like your customer um, is really, is, is absolutely the most important thing. It's not just sort of empty rhetoric, or it's not a marketing message. Uh, because when you um, put yourself in customer shoes and every single person in the organization has to do that. That's where ideas come. That's where you unleash your creativity and when you unleash your inner entrepreneur. Um, now, for people that don't deal directly with customers, um, I think it's still about purpose. You've got to know what you're doing. And I think especially the new sort of Gen Z and, um, you know, younger people coming in, you know, they want purpose, but purpose is not the sort of grandstanding purpose. It's knowing you're actually making a difference to someone. And, and, you know, and so knowing you're changing your customer's life in any way, however mundane that could be, you feel you're, you're making a difference every day. You know, when I started Coffee Republic, you know, I'm not changing the world. I'm giving people a latte or a vanilla frappuccino, but, you know, it's just still thinking you're making a difference. And so that's why it's, it's important um, for people who are not customer facing to actually understand the ultimate customer and then like that they will understand more their internal customers as well because it's all part of a chain so they can see what role they play in in everything they do they feel they come every day and something changes because of they come rather than just being another cog in the wheel i think um 
it's critical. So, you know, by putting yourself in the ultimate customer's shoes, you also understand your internal customers. And, and, that, and that's important. And that sort of inspires everyone. It's a sort of engine for everyone. Um, and ultimately, um, it's all about problem solving. You know, the customer out there has got a problem and you're all part of this wonderful team solving it. So even if you're sitting in finance and you never, ever see the ultimate customer, if you're sitting in the back office, you're still part of that problem solving. And it's really important for you to recognize that and know that and really feel that in a sort of visceral way. Okay. Now, um, you also say, um, don't let perfectionism slow you down, force the discipline of bootstrapping. Can you, can you explain what you mean by bootstrapping? Is it, is it to make ideas happen more quickly and make companies more responsive to customers and changing markets? Um, yeah, I mean, bootstrapping is um, you know, typically what an entrepreneur goes through, where you haven't got resources, you haven't got money, but you've somehow got to make it happen. Um, I remember I was, um, a sort of story I often tell is when I went to New York to take pictures of the coffee bar I fell in love with, um, the manager wasn't letting me take pictures. So my solution was, my bootstrapping solution was, I had a couple of cousins in, in New York and we went back to the same coffee bar, but we actually pretended as if we were taking tourist snapshots of each other in different poses around the coffee bar. And the manager couldn't really realize that actually what we were doing is, you know, half my cousin's head was cut off, but you could fully see every single detail of the coffee bar we're trying to follow. So it's this sort of hustling, it's this sort of, you know, blue P term two plus three equals five that entrepreneurs have to do. It's sort of being really resourceful. And what's amazing is, you know, we're all of us are incredibly resourceful in life, you know, at the weekends, whatever, you know, we have to do for our kids, getting their costume ready, getting a barbecue ready. You know, we, we always improvise, but somehow in the old corporate environment, we feel, oh God, we don't need to improvise. We need to do things correctly. You know, I'm not going to do it until it's 100% correct and I've got all the resources. And actually, in this day and age of innovation, it's going to be exactly what you do at home. It's just, you know, trying to do things, you know, however you do it. You know, as you know, my motto in life is um, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Because if you wait for it to be perfect, you'll never, ever do it. So um, what I really believe is actually perfectionism in large companies is the ultimate excuse it's people think it's a sort of search for greatness it's a search for excellence it's not it's just a procrastination technique and perfectionism just buys you time so instead of someone bothering you about it you're like actually do you know what i'm just going to leave it and get on with my kind of comfort admin what i call and just i'm not going to deal with this because it's you know we can't do things we're a big company we've got a big reputation we've got to do things perfectly and i think that experimentation is absolutely hugely important trying things because you know it's all trial and error. And so if you wait for perfection, you'll never do the trial and error. And it's so easy. And as you get um, older and more established, not to just get on with and do it and try to have a plan and try to put it a PowerPoint. But the power in taking those little steps is absolutely huge because if you wait for the one enormous step, you'll never do it, which is why innovation doesn't happen in big companies. So I think perfectionism is the, definitely the enemy of innovation. And you've got to give yourself the permission just to do something really imperfectly and really embarrassingly, because that's the only way things get done. Um, absolutely. Now, you talk a lot in your, um, in your own journey about the, the uh, importance of uh, remaining resilient and just driving through obstacles. Um, you say, don't be scared of failure, encourage it. And yeah. don't think of no as a stop sign, think of it as a badge of honor. How yeah. do you, how do you um, regard resilience and, and the importance of it? 
Um, uh, for me, resilience is, you know, it, it, it's all part of it, really. I just kind of, you know, I wish you know, that word overnight success was true, but, you know, um, we all buy to the myth of overnight success. But, you know, what I say is it takes 15 years to become an overnight success. Um, you know, when you think, uh, you know, a lot of people, when we do something, we're like, oh, my God, it, I can't believe, you know, this taken so long and, you know, poor me, I mean, I'm doing so much and, you know, this is just kind of, this is just taking such a long time, I should give it up. And, you know, why is it so difficult? And then, you know, every story you read has got incredible story of resilience. As I always like to mention the James Dyson um, example that he tried, I think, is it 5,700 oh, 5, prototypes of the Dyson as we see it now. So can you imagine going through 5,700 prototypes that were not right until he got it right? And you know, no one will have that level of resilience. So I always, every time I'm complaining about why something's taking a long time, it's that, you know, um, it's, it's kind of, it's almost like a persistence test. Um, you're not gonna get it right the first time. And, and it's all about um, just, just, you know, trying until you get it right. And it's almost like you've got to factor in that you've got to almost notch up on a certain level of no's and mistakes and failures until you get it. Because, you know, I suppose if, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Um, you know, innovation, it's not easy. It doesn't come to you on a plate, but it's definitely worth it. And that trial and error is part of the process, basically. So you're saying that people kind of have a status quo bias and that you have to expect resistance and you have to expect people not to accept your idea first time and keep coming back at it until until people do understand what you're trying to do. Yeah, because when you read every story of innovation, it comes with that. And somehow, uh, you know, Brendan, I feel we are um, we don't allow ourselves um, that, you know, we, we, people are kind of growing up with a child, you know, child falls, we sort of almost um, applaud it and think, oh, well done, you fell and now you're going to learn. And, you know, we accept a child learning to walk as kind of falling and learning and falling and getting up. And um, as adults, we just don't give ourselves that permission anymore. It's almost like we get set in concrete as if you know, we're meant to know everything and we're never meant to make a mistake because adults don't make mistakes. And it's just realizing when you read stories of you know, all other innovators, it's all about failure being part of the process. And you, know, you can avoid failure, absolutely. You can avoid failure by doing nothing, you know, trying nothing. Um, you'll never fail, but in, what's the point of that? So you know, it, it's only through doing and through trying um, that of course you're going to fail. And if you sit very tightly in your comfort zone, you're probably not going to fail, but um, that's not going to get you anywhere either in, in, the, in this day and world, day and age. It might've got you there sort of 30, 40 years ago, but no more in this, in this fast moving world we live in. Yeah. Um, now, years before the time of COVID and uh, the great uh, working from home changes that people are facing, you talked about the importance of work-life balance and you say don't put a work face on be a hundred percent yourself in your work what do you what do you mean by that um yeah kind of, you know what i what i mean is you know people have got this um almost romantic notion about sort of entrepreneurial companies and you know we have this idea of kind of you know um you know ping pong tables and dogs in the office and people playing football and beer on tap and you know, versus the kind of corporate gray kind of drab um, sort of office. And um, for me, very much, I think, you know, the world's moved, you know, before, I think when I started my career it was very much, you had to put your work face on, you had to almost leave your emotional baggage at the door um, because it was all about uniformity. You know, you sort of work wasn't meant to be emotional, work wasn't human. You had to, you know, it was a question of following processes and systems, but 
we live in a world that's completely different and it requires completely new skills because the customer's world is changing quite so fast because of the technological advancements that we get that you've got to you know get into a customer's head and ultimately customers are human and you need qualities like empathy creativity soul resourcefulness and um you know machines can't be resourceful automatons can't have empathy automatons can't be um curious they can't try new things or you know automatons can't experiment so we're moving away from almost that emotionally sterile, dehumanized, depersonalized towards, um, you know, real emotional ties with what you're doing. And that's what's really going to set, set everyone apart. Because in a world where um, you've got, you know, machine learning and, and machines being able to do things, um, you know, being even more human than, than we're used to is actually critically important. And it sparks that real entrepreneurial behavior where, you know, we really um, find new ways of doing things. We know how to serve our customers even better um, and do better. And that kind of energizes your organization. And, you know, it's kind of, it's the sort of secret to growth, but not only growth, but greatness. You know, it's kind of, um, you know, business success and personal satisfaction aren't across purposes. And, you know, real purpose is doing something that, you know, uses up yourself where you you know you're you're able to be yourself your, your time flies you're loving it because you're emotionally engaged in it um rather than just thinking it's transactional you're just going to do it and kind of go home and get a paycheck at the end of it who no one wants that anymore i don't think yes and also if companies are looking to attract younger people into the organizations who nowadays see far fewer barriers between their work life and their home life um, and far less distinction Therefore, it would seem far more important if you want to attract the brightest young people, you have to have a culture in the company that they will feel comfortable in, where they can Absolutely. express themselves. Yeah, and, and, and that culture, all, you know, it all comes down to kind of purpose and meaning. And everyone wants to feel, you know, meaning everyone wants to feel they make a difference. It's a sort of fundamental human need, especially with this new generation. So you need to connect everyone back to the customer and everyone to feel they're part of making a difference for someone in the customer's life that, you know, that means something to them, um, that they're actually making a difference. And so, so that's what's really important to kind of for everyone to get inspired in a way by the problems the customer has and get inspired in the problem solving for the customer. And that's absolutely critical. And it's really easy for everyone to do because it's just all about being much more externally focused and not just eternally focused. All right. Well, Sahar, it's been great um, to speak to you today. I've, I've very much enjoyed listening to your views on how companies can be more agile and entrepreneurial. Thank you very much for speaking to us today. Thank you, Brendan. I've loved it as always. This was a podcast from Illuminous. To find out more about how we could work with you, visit our website at illuminous.com.